Well, it is great to be with you again this week at Faith Troy at Home. Your response last weekend was just so awesome. It was so encouraging. We had people joining us from California, Wisconsin, Georgia, Texas, and of course the great state of Michigan. Uh, we met together in homes. We met in cars. We met in hotels. We even met in airports. Thank you so much for being here again this week with us. Please know that we are praying for you. We are praying for your family. Um, we're praying for our community and for our nation, for our leaders. We would ask that you continue to do the same thing. And once again, we're just so excited to have the opportunity to worship with you here at Faith Troy at home. Have you ever thought, you know, if God would do something, you know, really big, something really, really spectacular, you know, then it would be easier for me to, to believe in God. Maybe I would be able to understand him better. Maybe it'd be even easier for me to have faith in God. Have you ever thought anything like that before? Right? Have you ever thought about that from God's perspective? Because maybe the issue is, is that God is so present and God is so apparent that, that we miss God. Because we want God to do something big and something spectacular. And, and maybe God is thinking, okay, you know, like, like what even? I mean, like, like what? Like maybe create a, a rock large enough for, for you to live on and then perfectly adjust everything about it and everything around it so that it sustains life. And, and not just life, but millions of different types of life. In fact, so much life that it actually stands out in stark contrast to the billions of other pieces of rocks that they're floating around it that don't even have a, a single trace of life. You, you, mean, you mean something like that? Today we're picking up with our series, Signs and Wonders, and if you haven't been with us throughout this series, or if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, let me catch you up really quick. Throughout the series, we're journeying with the Apostle John, who, as an old man, decided to sit down and dictate his account of what he saw and what he experienced as he followed Jesus. And he organized his, his account, his letter, what we would come to think of as the Gospel of John, around seven very specific events that John refers to as signs. Because John discovered, and what he wants each of us to discover, is that these signs are in fact evidence. But evidence of what exactly? Well, John is saying they're evidence that Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be. Because what John realized and what he wants us to realize is that by performing these signs, Jesus was showing us his identity. And he wanted, John wanted future generations to know. He wants you to know what he knew and to see what it is that he saw. Not just so that we would know what Jesus did, right? This is so important. John actually wants his audience. He wants you to know who Jesus is. And so at the end of his letter, John tells us, he says, these events that I'm telling you about, the reason I'm telling you about them is so that you may believe, right? In other words, John is saying, I, I don't want you to just simply respond to all this information by saying, okay, that's interesting. No, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I want you to be convinced that Jesus is the actual, the unique son of God. And once you believe this is true, John would say, I want you to place your, your trust in him. I want you to place your faith in him because by believing in him, by placing your trust in him and following him, you're going to have a different kind of life. John would say you'll have life in his name. And so today we come to the sixth sign, which is found in John chapter 9. And if you want to follow along in a physical Bible, you can do that. Or you can also click on the tab in the upper right-hand corner of your screen right now that says Bible. And you can choose John chapter 9, and then you can also choose the version or the translation that you want to use as well. The one that I'm going to be using today is the NIV, the New International Version. Now, as we said a couple of weeks ago, 
Throughout his ministry, we find Jesus traveling in and out of Jerusalem because whenever he's in Jerusalem, he's in danger. Specifically, he's in danger from the Pharisees and the temple leaders because Jesus is contradicting much of what they said and much of what they did. And so once again, Jesus is back in Jerusalem and John tells us that he and the rest of the 12 are with Jesus and that as they went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And so his disciples, John being one of them, asked him and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, Jesus, do you see that man over there begging? I mean, he's there all the time. And so Jesus, we're, we're, we have a question for you. We're curious. Jesus, who sinned? Was it the blind man? Or was it his parents that he would be born blind? Because see, the assumption in the first century was that there was a direct cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. If someone is suffering, it's because they sinned. Now, what's always interesting to me personally is how much bad theology there is whenever it comes to issues of, of pain and suffering. And the fact that John records this event tells us this isn't new, that it's always been that way. Because see, these people believe that anyone who is born with some kind of a physical handicap, anyone with a chronic illness, anyone with some kind of a disability, they believe the reason that happened was because either they were paying for their own sin or they were paying for somebody else's sin in their family. And see, the truth is, I bet you've had a similar thought uh, to that at some point in your life. Maybe not directly related to something you did recently, but maybe you, you th thinking back maybe to your college years or your teenage years, and you've thought to yourself, okay, well, maybe God is, is paying me back right, for something I did earlier in my life. In fact, I've even heard people talking about what's happening in our world right now with the spread of this virus in kind of this very same way. And we know that sometimes our behavior does result in suffering, right? We know that. And we also know that sometimes we suffer because of other people's behavior. But see, whenever that's the case, it's usually pretty obvious. And so when it's not obvious, as Jesus is about to point out, there is no connection. Because the assumption that we often make is that if there's something bad happening, then God must be paying me back. I, I must have done something to make him angry. And so now Jesus is faced with this very important question. Jesus, who did this? Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man? Was it his parents? And see, thankfully for me and thankfully for my wife, Jesus didn't say it was the parents' fault. And thankfully for all of us, Jesus didn't say it was this man's fault. Thankfully for all of us, he says that's not the case. And if you are a person who, who struggles with a disability or with a chronic illness, then please hear what Jesus is about to say. Because see, you are more than your illness. You are more than your disability. There is more to you than meets the eye. And Jesus is the one who tells us that. What Jesus says next is life-changing and it is life-giving because Jesus says neither, right? Neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. In other words, Jesus is saying, okay, listen, you're thinking about this is completely wrong. That whole idea is wrong. That is not what is going on with this man or his parents. And certainly both this man and his parents had at some point committed sin, right? I mean, Jesus isn't saying they're sinless, but he is saying to try to blame certain illnesses and disabilities or conditions 
on a specific sin, Jesus himself, he flatly rejects that idea. And nor does Jesus say this, and this is also, this is so important. Nor is Jesus suggesting that God deliberately made this man blind so that years later Jesus could use him for an object lesson, right? That is not what this text is saying. In fact, one of the challenges that comes with reading ancient Greek manuscripts, which is what this letter from the Apostle John is, is that there's no punctuation in any of them. And so each translation will punctuate a text slightly differently. And truthfully, most of the time that has no impact on how we read or how we understand the text. But see, this time it does. Because the most literal way to read this is like this. Neither has this man sinned nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. We must work the works of him that sent me. Now that's a a little bit confusing for us. But what Jesus is saying is that this isn't about somebody's sin. The fact, this is about the fact that I'm here right now, Jesus is saying, to fix what is broken. So stop trying to assign blame, right? Jesus is saying your heavenly father, he wants to do something right now in this man's life to heal, not to curse. And see, as a pastor, I've seen all kinds of things, as you can probably imagine. And and the most extraordinary things that I see in my personal faith life with Jesus they are not the people who live wrinkle-free lives, right? Where everyone is always healthy and everything is always easy and everything always just goes the way that we think it should go. No, what's impressive is the man or the woman or the student or the family or the individual who goes through an extraordinarily difficult time. And yet their faith is sustained by God. He, He breaks into their tragedy and into their suffering with his grace. And when they respond to that grace, their faith grows. And when they see that that not just what the enemy is doing, but what they see what God is doing, their faith, it grows. That is when God's power is on full display in the midst of our weakness. And then Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, as long as it is day, We must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And notice that Jesus says we and not simply I. Jesus says that, that we, you and I, his followers, we are to do the work of the one who sent Jesus. And then he tells us why this is so important. Because while I'm in the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Right? And here's his point. Jesus is saying this. While I am in the world, I will never be brighter. Who I am, Jesus says, the light of the world, it will be nev- never be brighter than it is right now while I am here on earth. And when, it, when I leave, then it will be dark. And so while I'm here, Jesus says, watch me, learn from me, believe in me. And then after saying this, Jesus does the, the strangest thing, right? He spits on the ground. And before his disciples can say, hey, Jesus, you know, we don't do that because that's nasty, right? He makes some mud with the saliva and he puts it on the man's eyes. And this is one of those times that I wish we had more details about the story, but we don't. And then he says something to this man that we've heard Jesus tell other people. In fact, it's the very same thing that Jesus said just a few weeks ago to the father of a man with a, the father of a sick son. In fact, Jesus says something that he tells our whole generation. He says to this man who was born blind, I want you to go. I want you to walk away from me. 
I want you to, to leave my presence. I want you to go and I want you to wash in the pool of Siloam. And so this blind man, right? this is foreshadowing. This is what John's point. It's why he's writing about this event. This blind man, he walks by faith and not, right? not, not by what? By sight, literally. This man did what your heavenly father would like for you to do. He chose to trust someone he could not see based on what he'd been told about that person. And so the man, he went to the pool of Siloam. He did what Jesus said and he washed. And suddenly he could see. And where does he go? He goes home. And when he gets home, John tells us in verse 8 that his neighbors and his friends, those people who had formerly seen him begging, said, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't this the same guy who used to sit and beg? Some of them claimed that, it, that he was, but others said, no, no, just, it just looks like him. But the man himself said, no, it is me. I, I am the one that, that used to beg. And so, of course, they ask him the, the obvious question, right? They say, they say, how? Right? How in the world were your eyes opened? And so the man tells them, the, the person that they call Jesus, that guy that we've all heard all these stories about, that man, Jesus, he made some mud, he put it on my eyes, he told me to go to Siloam and wash, and I did what he asked me to do, even though it made absolutely no sense. I did what he asked me to do, and then I could see. And right, of course they're curious. Right? Of course they are. So, so, so where is this man, they ask him. And he replies, I, I don't know. I don't know. And then in verse 12, his friends and his neighbors, they take him to go see the Pharisees. Now, for us, this seems kind of strange, given what you and I know and what we've heard about the Pharisees. But this was, in fact, exactly what they should do. Because in the Old Testament, God said that if someone was miraculously healed, or if it appeared that someone was miraculously healed of a, a handicap, a disability, or a chronic illness... That person was to go to the Pharisees because they were the most educated people in the society and then they were to be examined by them. And make no mistake, the reason God gave this command was to protect his people. The reason they were to do this was both to protect other people from possibly getting sick in case there wasn't really a healing, but then also if they were healed, to publicly recognize the miracle that had taken place. And so when this man who had been born blind, when he goes along with his friends to see these Pharisees, instead of excitement and celebration, there's anger and hostility. Because John tells us, the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath, right? He's done it again. When is Jesus going to learn? Now, technically, Jesus didn't break any of God's commands. He just didn't keep the Pharisees' traditions. Because according to what was known as the tradition of the elders, they had 39 different activities that they had decided um, were prohibited on the Sabbath. And mixing, making mud, was one of those activities. So in verse 15, when the Pharisees found out what had happened, when they asked the man how he received his sight, he told them, Jesus made mud. He, he put it on my eyes. I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, okay, this man, talking about Jesus, this man is not from God. And it's like, okay, why would you say that? Well, it's obvious, really, they said, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And see, before you and I get too judgmental here, right, we need to recognize really what it is that happened. Because what happened is that Jesus didn't fit inside their box. 
right? And the truth is, whether we realize it or not, every single one of us, even those of you maybe who, who say you don't believe in God, all of us have a box that we try to keep God inside of. And Jesus is operating outside the boundaries of the box. And so, therefore, they concluded that Jesus can't possibly be from God. But fortunately, right, fortunately, there were some people like you there in that crowd that day because John tells us that some people spoke up and they said, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute here. How can a sinner, right? Because if he's not from God, then he's like one of us. And see, the rest of us, we're, we're sinners. And so how can a sinner perform such a sign? And they were like, okay, well, that's actually a good point. And so John tells us they were divided. And so they turned once again to the blind man and they said, okay, what do you have to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man replied, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's a prophet, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know what he looks like. I don't know who he is. But the Pharisees, they still refused to believe that he was ever born blind and that he had received his sight. And so they call for this man's parents and they ask him, is this your son? Is this the one that you say? was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know that he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes? We have no idea. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And see, John tells us the reason his parents said this was because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, because the Jewish leaders, they had already decided because there was no room in their theology, right? There was no room in their worldview for what they were seeing. And so they already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ was to be put out of the synagogue. The word that we would use today is excommunicated. And the irony that John wants us to understand is that it was these Pharisees who were blind. They were blinded by their assumptions. They were blinded by their own refusal to see. They were blinded because there was something to see, but they refused to look. There was something for them to discover, but they refused to take the time to discover it, right? Just as it is easy for us not to take the time to discover that perhaps God is bigger than our box, But see, the Pharisees, they're still not done questioning this man. So a second time, they call him and they say, give glory to God. In other words, they're saying, saying, tell us the truth, right? Tell us the truth, because here's what we know is true. We know you were blind. We talked to your parents. We know that something happened. But clearly, this man, Jesus, could have nothing to do with it, because we know this man is a sinner, and we know that sinners could not perform such a sign. And listen to this man's response to all of this. This is incredible. He says this, he says, whether he, right, Jesus, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. In other words, he's saying, listen, I don't know everything, right? I don't understand everything. But I don't have to understand everything to believe something. I don't have to be able to explain everything to believe something. And see, here's the good news. Neither do you, right? Neither do you. In fact, maybe this is where you've been hung up when it comes to following Jesus. And if that's the case, I completely understand that. But listen, you do not have to understand everything before you believe something. And so why not take a baby step and perhaps along the way, you'll understand more. John continues and he tells us that now this man is getting so frustrated. 
And so he says to these people who, who just refuse to see, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But there is one thing that I do know. I was blind and now I see. I don't have all the answers to your questions. I can't fully explain it. All I know is this. I was blind and now I see. And see, for many of you, this is your story. Because you would say that there was a season in my life where I was at the end of myself. There was a season in my life when I was controlled by an addiction. There was a season in my life when I was just so incredibly hopeless and lonely. There was a season in my life where I felt like I had no place to go. And I can't explain it. All I can tell you is that something happened. And see, for some of you, it happened instantly, and for some of you, it happened gradually. But something happened. You were blind, and now you can see, and you have never been the same. And you acknowledge, listen, I'm not even fully sure how you know, this one part of my past lines up with, with this part of my present. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you, it is only by the grace of a living, personal God who has invited me to call him Father that I'm where I am today. All I know is this. I was blind, and now I can see. But that's not good enough for these men. And so they ask him again in verse 26, what did he do to you, right? How did he open your eyes? They want more reasons not to believe. And this guy is so done. And so he looks at them and he says to them, listen, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? In other words, he's saying, right? There is a huge difference between not knowing and refusing to see, between refusing to discover what can be discovered. And the truth is, none of us are immune to this. In fact, isn't it true that unwillingness to look beyond our own little boxes can make us look and act a bit like these Pharisees? And see, as followers of Jesus, we should be the most curious. We should be the most accommodating. We should be the most accepting, the most loving, the most compassionate people in any room that we enter. We should not be afraid to gaze past the frontiers of our own knowledge. We should be the ones who are the most excited about new discoveries and science. We should be the ones who are most excited about creating places for people who are far from God to, to move towards God. And anyone who takes any step towards God, whether it fits inside our box or not, that should excite us to no end, even if they don't get the words right. Even if they don't get the theology right. Even if they don't pray right. Because if we can't or if we won't move beyond the idea of a God who lives in our little box, then here's the greatest tragedy. Right? Just like these men, we run the risk of missing God. And see, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or you used to be, or you know, somebody's making you watch this, I don't know how they would get you to do that, but, but maybe you're accidentally watching it, I don't know. Here, here's just my, my question for you. Right? Have you looked? I mean, have you, have you really looked? Are you curious? Have you looked? Lately? Have you closed the door? I mean, have you closed the box on God because you can't explain him? Is that really wise? I mean, is it possible, right? I'm, I'm just asking. Is it possible that maybe you have a box as well? And anything that doesn't immediately fit, you discount. Have you closed the door on the possibility that 
Jesus might in fact be who Jesus claims to be? I mean, is it possible that perhaps the God that you quit believing in is in fact the very same God who does not want to be kept in a little box? And see, maybe for you, maybe you actually had the courage to to try to look beyond that box. But the people that you knew, they didn't know what to do with the kind of questions you were asking. And see, again, here's the truth. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay not to know everything because we're all learning and we're all curious and, and we're all trying to figure things out. But isn't it also true that it's not okay not to look if there's something to be seen? Because the Apostle John's message throughout his entire letter is simply this. There is something that you should see. And if you see what I saw, John would say, I'm convinced that you too would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing, you will. You will have life in his name. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this incredible story and this reminder about how how you work and how you move in in our world and around us in in ways um, that we don't always understand. And Father, please forgive us for those times when we are tempted to think that we have you all figured out, that we're tempted to think that we know how you work and we, we know just how you would behave in all situations. Father, forgive us for that arrogance. Father, forgive us for those times that we are not open for seeing your hand work in our lives, in our loved ones' lives, in the world around us, simply because we might not understand what's really happening. And Father, I pray today especially, I pray for every single person as they watch this and as they think about um, what might be a very familiar story for many of us. Father, I pray that maybe we would begin to view the events of our own lives and our own past perhaps differently. That we would see your hand even in the midst of struggles, even in the midst of, of very difficult times, that we would see and come face to face with a, a God who loves us and a Savior who's died for us and a Savior who gives his life to us today. And Father, I pray that every single one of us would always remember the promise that Jesus has made, has made to each of us to never leave us or abandon us, but to always give us his peace and his grace and his love. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.